Hello, and welcome to Joy Christian Community Church. Each week we strive to bring you Bible-based, Christ-centered teaching so that you will grow alive, deep, and bold in the love and knowledge of Jesus. And now, here's Pastor Clayton with this week's message. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent means coming or arrival. And the focus of this season is actually in preparation to celebrate the birth of Christ the King, of his coming into the world the first time, and of his coming again at the very end. It's a celebration of God's truth, the revelation of God in Christ Jesus, of God reconciling the world to himself. And so we have a journey of Advent for the next four weeks, and we're going to be using Luke's gospel to guide us. Our themes for the four Sundays of Advent are hope, preparation, rejoice, and assurance. Those are the themes, and today our theme is hope. Hope is a word that we cling to, isn't it? It's a word that we hold on to very tightly, especially during difficult times, especially when we can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. We have to have some hope that we hold on to. And the hope that we hold on to is the promise of God made manifest in Christ Jesus. He is the light. He is our eternal hope. And you have to understand, when Luke wrote his gospel, it had been a long, dry, silent, barren stretch. For 400 years, there had been no word of the Lord. The last word of the Lord came from the prophet Malachi 400 years earlier. And then there was silence. And if you want to find out any particular prophecy... Well, you'd have to go back a hundred years to Daniel, but really where there were miracles occurring, you'd have to go back even to 800 BC at the time of Elijah, Elijah and Elisha. So from Elijah to Malachi, 400 years. From Malachi to the birth of Christ, 400 years. 800 years is a very, very long time. Malachi said this at the very end of his book. He said, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, the, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So he was talking about the birth of John the Baptist. So the story that Luke gives is not one of despair. It is not one of darkness. It is a message of true hope. In the midst of all the silence, in the midst of the drought that we might have, he brings a message of hope. God brings life where there is no life and hope where there is no hope. And therefore, this morning, as we begin our Advent season, our journey of preparation, our journey of hope to receive Jesus Christ, our Savior, we're going to learn from Luke and the story regarding the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist. 
And if you want it all in one easy message here, it is this. In our barrenness, God brings new life and takes away our reproach. That's our message of hope today. In our barrenness, God brings new life and takes away our reproach. So let's go to the first section, in our barrenness. We're going to go to Luke chapter 1, verses starting with verse 5 through 7. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, one of the divisions of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So Luke is writing the gospel, the story of the good news, to most excellent Theophilus. And it's either to bring him to faith or to strengthen him in his faith. And therefore, he talks about things that happened in a particular time, in a particular manner. He makes something very real to most excellent Theophilus. See, everything that Luke writes about can be verified by history. And for us, 2,000 years later, some of these details are fairly mundane. We kind of go, eh. But you have to understand the hope that you and I have, and this is crucial, the hope you and I have isn't just wishful thinking in Christ Jesus. It is based on real events that can be verified. And Luke tells this story. He doesn't tell it in an extravagant manner. It's very matter of fact. I mean, really, in the king, in the days of King Herod, king of in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he and his and he had a wife of the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. It's not extravagant, is it? It's just laid out in a matter of fact manner. And Zechariah and Elizabeth overall were pretty ordinary people. Zechariah, which whose name means the Lord has remembered, which is crucial to remember, it's been 400 years, right? The Lord has remembered. He was just an ordinary country priest. In the area of Palestine, there were about 8,000 priests, and they had different divisions, and each would take a turn at the temple, and it was actually by lot, that he had an opportunity to go and be in the temple that day. Now, you also have to understand that there is something a little bit special, though, about Zechariah and Elizabeth, because it traces the, all the way back to Aaron and to the Levites. And they were called, set apart, the Levites called, set apart for work unto the Lord. So you actually can trace the promise of the Lord all the way back. That's what Luke is doing here. We also know that Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were godly people. It says they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. We shouldn't take this to mean that they were sinless, because everybody has fallen short of the glory of God, what we do is we take this to mean that they were observant in the Jews. They had a heart after the Lord. They were serious about their faith. However, though they were blameless before the Lord, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. 
How many of you know people who have struggled with infertility? Just out of curiosity, you know that. It's painful, isn't it? To struggle with barrenness, to have a desire for life and no life coming. It crushes many, many couples, and it's very, very difficult. Now, I want you to take that particular pain, that understanding that you would have of friends who can't conceive, and I want you to multiply that by a couple fold. Because in those times for Elizabeth and beforehand in the ancient days, to be childless as a Hebrew was considered a disgrace, even a punishment from God. In those days, barrenness carried, carried a moral stigma because in Jewish thinking, it meant that those people were not righteous and therefore they were being punished by God. For example, Hagar looked down on Sarah when Hagar conceived, but Sarah remained barrenless, remained barren. Leah was uh, referred to in her former barrenness as misery. Hannah wept bitterly from our reading from Genesis. Rachel, uh, who bore a son, she finally said, well, God has taken away my reproach. So Elizabeth undoubtedly suffered reproach from others. She considered her barrenness a disgrace. And it was a permanent disgrace because they were so advanced in years, there was nothing that could be done. So they lived in permanent disgrace. So there are a couple lessons we can take away from this one. One, you can live a righteous life and there can still be silence and barrenness. See, the thinking that has gone into modern Christianity nowadays is that if you live a proper life, if you are righteous before the Lord, everything will go your way. You won't have to suffer disappointment. You'll always be connected somehow to the Lord. And this lie compounds pain because then people think I must not be good enough. Look, you can live a righteous life and still there still can be silence and barrenness in your life. And the second lesson is we must not consider barrenness as a punishment from God. See, if you consider anything that happens to us as a punishment from God, you forget that we live in a fallen world. You forget we live in a world where there is sin, where there's pain, and there's suffering. So you can't compound that and say it is always a punishment from God. Even righteous people suffer God's, suffer, suffer calamity. Think of Job, right? Job was a righteous man, and look at all the calamity that befell him. See, when you, under, when you think that it's just a punishment from God, you fail to understand God's sovereignty. You fail to understand God's grace, his mercy, and his love. The third lesson we can take from this is God often chooses, chooses to show his glory when we think he has forgotten us completely. 
Take a look at Scripture. There are time and time and time again, God shows His grace, God shows His mercy, God shows His glory when people think they have totally, God has totally forgotten them. How many years had it been since the end of Malachi? 400 years, right? God in His timing shows His glory, not man's timing. And the other thing that we know is that he will answer prayers in his sovereign time, his sovereign will. In our barrenness, God brings life. In our barrenness, God brings life. Let's go back to our reading, starting in verse 8 through 17. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and who will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So Zechariah goes before the altar. He's there to offer incense, and Gabriel comes out. And the reaction is fear, and Gabriel says, Do not be afraid. And then he says, your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you shall call him John. So the lesson from this is God does hear prayers. Gabriel's prayer, um, Zechariah's prayer was heard. Now the question is, what prayer did he pray before the altar? What prayer was God answering? Well, they had prayed for a son, right? They had prayed for a son. I don't know if they continued to pray. They had been advanced in years. That prayer was a long time ago. But God answered that prayer in the most astounding way. But he also answered another prayer, didn't he? Because remember, Zechariah is a priest, and he would have been there before the altar praying for the nation of Israel, for the coming Messiah. So God answered two prayers. He poured out his grace upon Zechariah and Elizabeth, and he poured out his grace upon the nation of Israel for John the Baptist to be the forerunner of the light of the world. And he sealed, he sealed his answer with John's name. Does anybody know what John means? It means God has been gracious or God has shown favor. 
Names are important, so God seals the answer of his prayer with the name John. Just as he would seal the answer of the prayer, Jesus, which is Yahweh saves. So he hears our prayers. And then the second part is God answers your prayers. When God answers your prayer, there's the promise of new life. He told Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. The English have a name, uh, a phrase now called gobsmacked. Has anybody heard that phrase? Gobsmacked. It's like a hit in the mouth, just astounded. Where's Shirley? Shirley, you would have a son. Or Linda, Linda, you're going to bear a son, a new son. Jim, if you look at Jim, he would be gobsmacked at that. Right? Like, whoa, you're kidding. And there's going to be joy because there's new life at that. But the new life is also different. He says that John the Baptist, he will turn many to the children of Israel, to the Lord their God. And he will be go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So what is this power, the spirit of Elijah? I mean, remember, I I mentioned earlier, it goes back to Malachi 400 years earlier, who said, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of of the Lord comes before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Jesus affirmed that John the Baptist was also going to be like Elijah, in the power and spirit of Elijah. He said, he is Elijah if you will have him as such. Now, this does not mean that John the Baptist was Elijah reincarnated. We don't want to go there. It means he had the power and spirit of Elijah. What does it mean to have the power and spirit of Elijah? Because this is important because he says, this is, this is the new life that's going to come, preparing the way in the power and spirit of Elijah. Well, if you go back into scripture, you find that the time of Elijah was not a good time. It was barren. It was dry. Literally, there was a drought for three years. You talk about a symbol of barrenness, a symbol of dryness, a drought, complete drought for three years. But more than that, there was a lot of idolatry during the time of Elijah. Who remembers or knows the name Jezebel. Mm -hmm. Jezebel was the time of Elijah. She married the son of one of the kings, and she took Baal worship and brought it into Israel. False god worship into Israel. She was detested in the eyes of the Lord. So much so that now if you say, you Jezebel, you ever heard that one? You Jezebel, it talks about an unfaithful seductress. This was the state of Israel during Elijah's time. So, what did Elijah do? 
Well, he spoke the word of God. To be in the power and spirit of Elijah is to literally speak the word of the Lord to the people. He rebuked them and told them to repent. He told them to repent. In our reading today, it says that John the Baptist will turn the hearts of the fathers and the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This sounds nice and sweet, doesn't it? But if you think about John the Baptist, he was nothing but nice and sweet, was he? Talks about this hairy guy who dressed in really rough clothes, and he, he was not politically correct by any means. Matthew chapter 3, verses 2, then 7 through 11. He said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say yourself, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. That's the power and the spirit of Elijah. It is a power and spirit of repentance to reject anything that stands between you and the Lord. To repent, to turn away from the evil and wickedness of this earth. The lesson from this is repentance of sin and confessing Lord Jesus as Lord leads to new life. As we go on this Advent journey, some of you or some people you might know are in barrenness, are in drought. And part of that might be because you have not repented yet. And it's amazing that repentance and confessing Christ leads to new life. See, maybe you have a message of hope, not only for yourself, but for other people on this Advent journey. So how did Zechariah respond to this? Did he go, yippee, yay? No, he didn't, did he? He said, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. In essence, he said, yeah, right. It was a spirit of disbelief. It wasn't just like, how could that be? No, it was actually a spirit of disbelief. Though he came face to face with Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, he said, eh, not really. Don't think so. See, he, instead of listening to God's messenger, of listening to God's word, he looked to his circumstances and said, there is no hope. 
How many of you are looking to your own circumstances and you look at the circumstances of your life and say, well, there's no hope. Instead of fixing your eyes on Christ, instead of listening to God's word rather than the words that go around into your own, in your own brain. In 1927, the USS Submarine S-4 was accidentally rammed by another ship and sank. And the entire crew was uh, trapped in this prison of death. Many different ships rushed to the scene, and uh, they didn't know what to do. It was still kind of early in the whole submarine uh, rescues. And so a diver went down, and he placed his helmeted head to one side of the vessel and listened, and somebody inside was tapping, tapping in Morse code, is there any hope? That's the cry maybe you have today. That's the cry I'm sure you know friends who have, is there any hope? That is the cry of the nation of Israel. That's the cry of of the world. Is there any hope? And our hope is found in Christ and him alone. Gabriel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. The good news of hope. The good news from God himself that he has given to us in Christ Jesus. And we have that hope written down for us, revealed to us in scripture. Is there hope? Yes, there is hope, hope indeed. So we must not falter. We must cling to Christ during those times of silence. For even the righteous have times of barrenness and silence. In our barrenness, God brings, brings life and takes away our reproach. Verse 20 through 25. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which we be fulfilled in their time. And when he came out, he was unable to speak them. And they realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. It's a great irony that Zechariah had waited all of these years in silence for his son, And then when a son was announced that he would have a son, he was silenced because of his disbelief. But the rebuke wasn't permanent. It was only until the birth of Christ. But I want to focus on what Elizabeth said. He has looked on me and has taken away my reproach among the people. Isn't that the good news that we have? That God takes away our reproach. That in spite of our rebellion and sin against God, he has looked upon each one of us and through faith in his son, Jesus has taken away our reproach. 
all the sin, all the rebellion, all the doubt, all the fear, everything that you have, everything that your friends have, through Christ Jesus, God has taken away our reproach. And we stand fully anchored in the hope and light of Christ. That's what Advent is. We remember that he came. Because how long has it been since he came the first time? A little over 2,000 years, right? 2,000 years is a long time, isn't it? And sometimes it's hard for us to think, wow, is this this ever going to come to fruition? And we have the hope in Christ Jesus proclaimed to us. So what about you today? What about you? Are you in a, a barren situation? Has there been silence in your life? Has there been such doubt, despair, grief that you're just not sure anymore? So the question today is, have you fixed your eyes upon Jesus, who is your eternal hope? And I love this picture because it has both the manger and the cross, the fulfillment of God reconciling us to him. That's the good news for the day. That is our hope. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com. God's peace and joy in Christ Jesus be with you.